Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 5. Last week, we started on the subject of four keys to being strong. Every Christian ought to be strong. You should not be weak. You should not fall prey to everything that comes along in your life. You should not be sad and down in the dumps and unable to cope with circumstances in your life. You should be strong in the Lord because God has given us in his word everything we need to be strong. But here's something about being strong in Proverbs 24, 5. We read it last week, and it has to do with how wise you are as well as what you know. Proverbs 24 and verse 5. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. So there is an advantage to us in learning things, coming together to hear what is being said, and so we can gather in more knowledge about what the Lord has said, and hopefully he increases our learning and shows us more things, and we become better, not only more knowledgeable, but better equipped to live the way we're supposed to live. Now, a man that lives like that, a man who sees his need for the word and to find it and to hear it and to apply it to his life or her life, the Bible says is wise. Just like in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, a wise man is a man who builds his house on a rock because he knows there's going to be trouble and pressure come against his house. And in preparation for that trouble, he knows is coming. He finds the right foundation so that his house will be strong. And he equates that to whoever hears Jesus' word and does it. That's what that whole thing is about. He that heareth my words and doeth them. Well, you can't do the word of God unless you go find it. If you don't know what the Bible says, all you can do is join church and be a member and all of that and have ideas. But what God wants you to do is to know what he says and then be willing to do that. Now, the Bible says this is what a wise man does. And I hope we have a lot of wisdom in this room tonight. And I hope that wisdom stays with us through our life and is passed on to our children. You see, we said last week, you don't have to turn to this because you're so familiar with it. In Ephesians 6.10, it says that we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, that's where our strength is. Again, we go back to the word. The only thing that God said he would watch over to perform was his word. And his word has been displayed in history and in time as a creative, mighty power of God. And it's amazing that God would give us of his word that we can hide that word in our heart so that we can do everything that he calls us to do by the power of this word. What a blessing that has to be. Because there was a time in all of our lives we didn't care anything about that. This was just stories that people told in church. We didn't really get anything out of it. We didn't even like really going to church and we dreaded the length of it and we sat there and did that and we didn't learn anything and we were never wise. We lived foolish lives. Then when God saved us, he began to show us how weak our lives had been, how easily overcome we had been in so many things. And as the word again came into our lives, he said, as you know the truth, the truth will make you free. It's all about knowing something. We started last week on this subject about four keys to being strong, four different things. The first one I mentioned, and won't spend a lot of time on it, was that we can be strong because, one, we can know God. I don't know how many people would make that a point on the subject of being strong, but how could you be strong if you didn't know the Lord? It's Paul who wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul says, I know whom I have believed. We've always quoted, I know in whom I have believed, but the Bible says, I know whom I have believed. And this knowledge that I have, this personal knowledge I have of God, not only has secured me and my trust of him, because faith comes from this relationship, but I have come to the place where knowing him just makes me free. 
Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And he said, the only thing I really want in life in Philippians 3, I just want to know him. It's just the idea that God has been willing to come down to my level and walk into my life in a way that I can comprehend him. And there's no other way I could do this. God has become who he is in his life. He began to see God as he was. And the effect of that concerning your strength is like Daniel eleven thirty two. He says, they that do know their God, not know about him, that's good. But a lot of people know about God and memorize vast sections of scripture, but their life isn't marked by strength or overcoming trouble. They just have learned a lot. But the kind of knowledge that we're talking about here in knowing God is the kind of knowledge that affects your life. The knowledge that exercises influence upon you. It determines how you live and the choices you make. You find that you're compelled in circumstances to want to know what God says about this, and then that's what you want to do. Like I said about Paul, God began to reveal himself to him, and it was such a thing that he said, you know, I just want to know that. My years are limited. I don't have a lot of them left. But even as much, you might say, as he had learned and all he had written and travels that he had made, he said, I just want to know him. I'm sure that time in Acts 23 when Paul was in prison and he had been beaten up by a crowd of people and actually the, the Sanhedrin court. And he had been put in jail just to secure him and protect him. And I'm sure he was hurting all over and his face was probably sore and his body was bruised. And that night, the Bible said Jesus appeared to him. You know what I believe? I wasn't there and you weren't either. I believe that the appearance of Jesus there took away all of his pain, all of his aggravation, all of his feelings about why am I? I think he just, there he is, there's Jesus. And he didn't ask to get out of these chains. He didn't ask to be set free. In fact, Jesus said, you're going to Rome. And that's where you're probably going to die and they're going to cut your head off or whatever they're going to do to you. And just the fact that Jesus was there didn't matter what was coming because his ability to overcome fears and tomorrow was the fact that he knew something that God had said. He knew the Lord. And, and that was a wonderful thing for man to know. In fact, knowledge is so important that what he said in John 17, 3, he said, and this is eternal life that they may know thee. And again, you think about the big picture about what that means. Eternal life is to know God in such a way that your life is determined by what you know about him. You live by what he says. And that's what eternal life is all about in this world, in this life. A second thing we mentioned last week was you are strong if you know that God is able. And a lot of people have read all the stories and we've all heard of miracles and, and the walking on the water and the turning the water into wine. And, but there's this question in the back of religionist mind. Can he really do all those things he said? They can read the promises. They no doubt have read many times or heard others talk about or heard on the radio or read in a magazine or a neighbor or maybe a sermon heard about all these things that God has done the Bible, all the miracles, all the wonderful experiences that these Old Testament saints had and all the wonderful miracles that the New Testament saints had and all the promises that God has made of what he can do. But the question a lot of people have, and if you don't get this, then you'll never be strong. Is he able to do what he said? Is he really able to do all the things that he said he would? Laying hands on the sick. What if the sick are in the last stages of some dreadful disease? Or their heart's about to quit pumping or whatever. And you mean to tell me you can lay hands on somebody like that and they shall recover? Then why don't they? Because a lot of people lay hands on them. That God can get you out of debt. How's come in a lot of people wind up filing bankruptcy? That God can fix a marriage when why does so many wind up in divorce? 
that God can heal anything, why do they die? It's because you see the question that lingers in Christians' minds when they hear the truth. And this limits you from being strong and probably keeps you from being strong because of this lingering question. Will he really do, will God really do what he said? Remember the verse we read last week, Ephesians 3, 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Is he? Is he really able to do above all that I ask or think? Because some of the things that I could ask God for, I've never seen done with anybody. As far as the things I'm thinking, I'm seeing in my mind, I'm seeing people well and whole and put together. And yet, realistically, they're not like that at all. Is he really able to do all of these things? Is he? See, your faith will never be where it needs to be unless you really believe he is. Is he able? Now, he said he would, will he? Remember 2 Corinthians 9, 8? For God is able. Now, here's what he can do. He said he could. It's able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always... Not sometimes, but you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Is that possible? Then why don't we see more of it? We can read it. It's right there. It's clear and it's plain. And yet, it seems like, as we evaluate God in terms of the experiences of other people, we don't see much of it. But it's there. I mean, it says it right there. God is able to make all grace abound towards me so that I always having all sufficiency. Don't lack. There's no lack here. All sufficiency in all things that I may abound in every good work. There's no room for failure there. There's no defeat there. There's no lack there. Nothing is dismal about that. God is able to make it work like that. Now, the fact is, will he, though? I mean, is that what he said? Turn to Philippians 3 so we can go on to our third point. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Is God able to do things in a person's life whether that person realizes it or not? Can God do something even though you don't know it? Then God is not limited by your knowledge of him, but he gives you that knowledge because he works through that. But God is able. Is he able to subdue anything? Is he able? Read verse 21. Who shall change our vile body? That's the one that got us in so much sin, that corrupted us so much, that gave us so much trouble, our feelings, our lust, all of that. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, you might say it like this, whether you realize it or not, God is going to make you the way he wants you. When he gets done with you, you're going to be the way he wants you to be because he's able to do that. He is able, in Jude 24, he is able to keep you from falling. Why do so many people fall? All I'm saying is I can't answer a lot of questions about why other people fall because I don't have to. It's not my responsibility, but I can tell you this, that God is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his throne faultless. You, faultless. Can you imagine the all-knowing eye of God looking at you and finding no fault when he's done with you? Is that possible? Without spot, or wrinkle, what else? 
without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. This is the work that God is able to do in people that don't even realize he's able to do it. He is able to open our eyes when we're not even looking. He's able to get your attention when you're not paying attention. Because he's God. And his plan, he said, you were predestined from the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of his son. Something that we don't even realistically accept because how could anybody be like that? And yet God is able to make it work. Why? Because he's God. God didn't lift us out of the miry clay to set us somewhere to leave us like that and then judge us harshly for not being the way he wants us. He brought his people out of the miry clay and his program is that he is at work in them both to will and do of his good pleasure. And when he is done with them, they will be the way he wants them to be because he is able to do that. After you have suffered a while, and you will, Peter writes, he will himself confirm, perfect, strengthen, and establish you. Only he can, but he will, and he is able to. Look at us. Look around. There's no outstanding people in here. Well, I don't mean that as an insult to anybody. We're a pretty ordinary bunch of people. Not exactly what the world would look up to, but you're the one that he chose. And he chose you that when he is through with you, the world will look at you and envy you because you're what he accepts. And they're rejected, but you're accepted, but only because he is able to make you and me the way he wants us to be. Thirdly, tonight, we need to know about God's faithfulness to his word. Now we say, well, we know a lot about that. Well, good, good. The question that often comes with God's faithfulness, did he really mean what he said? Is he really able to do what he said? Now, in God's faithfulness, did he really mean it the way he said it? Because all through religion today and books on religion in church store, bookstores, it seemed like and on the radio, ministers of the gospel, preachers today, are constantly trying to tell us that what the Bible says he will do, that he won't do that he has done this and he has done that, but you can't be sure that he'll do that today. They say that he's faithful to his word. The Bible says the same thing in Deuteronomy 7, 9, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and so forth. Talks about your life. He said, you know, there's no temptation taking you, but such is just common to man, but God is faithful. Back to what I said a while ago, he will not allow you, you, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to cope with. But he expects you to cope with it. He expects you to deal with it. But he's in charge of all the pressure and everything else. Now, he's in charge of those things because in his word, he said he was. Now, he's either faithful. God is either faithful to what he said or he is not. Didn't he say in Jeremiah 1, verse 12, he said, I will hasten to my word to perform it. The word hasten is a Hebrew word, which means to awakefulness, to stay awake, means to watch. Watchfulness. That's why it's translated by a lot of people. He watches over his word to perform it. He says that about nothing else. Just think of it. He makes no such statement about anything else that anybody else has ever written. The only thing that God has given his guarantee to performing is what he has said. And not everybody gets to know what he said. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, he said, why is it that you cannot understand my word? He said, because you can't hear it. How many people come under that dreadful statement about they have ears to hear, but they can't hear, and they have eyes to see, but they can't see? Well, they're intelligent people. They can hear what he's saying. They can get a picture of what he's talking about. But they're empty. None of it registers as a reality, so they don't live by it. It doesn't make them strong. It doesn't improve the life any. It's just a gathering in of sermons. It doesn't change anything. You're not stronger because you've heard things. 
I can tell you, and through the years of my life, for the last 40 years of my life, I have known a lot of people who sit in a good place who are weak. It's like whatever they heard didn't make them strong. They could act strong for a while, but when they were out there in the wilderness to be tempted and tested, most of them fell apart. All the word they heard didn't make them strong. Now, will the same thing happen to you? You see, you have got to be convinced in your heart, all of us do, for the sake of your faith that you must believe that God is faithful. That the thing he's faithful to is his word. Remember Psalm 138 and verse 2, at the end of that psalm, he says that he has magnified his word even above his name. And look at all the wonderful things it says about his name. Psalm 91, because you have known my name, I will, I will, I will, I will. Or the name of the Lord is a high tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. And he says he honors his word even above his name. I say that God puts a premium on his word. Heaven and earth shall pass away. The word of God will remain forever. He'll never change. It'll never be altered. He will never alter the thing the psalmist said that has gone out of his mouth. Or the words his lips have spoken will never change. They will be that way eternally. You can be sure tonight that what God said, he's faithful to it. He will never change his mind. He will not do it any other way than the way that he said that he would. Remember this verse? Let me just quote you some verses here. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent or change his mind. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Why, pray tell me, to all the church world, why does a verse like that not have significant influence on our lives? God is not like us. We can't always keep our words. We have good intention, but you get into a traffic jam or something came up or you just couldn't do it. But never, never, never with God. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. You know why? Because one of his wonderful attributes, one of the things the Bible magnifies about God is that God is faithful. Nobody else can be faithful like God is faithful. But God is faithful. What he said, he will do. How good is it to know concerning security? Y'all believe in security? I hope you do. Because in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said that concerning his sheep, no man shall take them out of his hand. All you have to make sure of is that you're one of his. He shows you how to be. Right there it is. But he said that neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, if that's true, and it has to be true because the Bible says it. That's right. The Bible says it. And if the Bible says it, and therefore it is true, it remains for me to ask the question. Will God really do that? Can I be sure that he'll do that? Is he really able to do that? And if he is able, can I trust him? Is he faithful to what he said? In other words, I can't trust you, Lord, if you're not reliable and faithful yourself. I just can't have that connection. There'll always be this doubt in my mind. Well, I know he could, but I don't know why he doesn't, but he could. He may not be doing it, but he could. But the Lord is faithful, the Bible says. Listen at this verse. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You ought to pray that over your children. Unless it's too much trouble. Unless you have to sit down and read a while and pray a little bit about it, and that might take you away from something else. But think about that. God is faithful. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you. Establish you means that he will make you steadfast and stable. You're not likely to be thrown off course like this because you've been secured by the Lord. Now, the Bible says God is faithful who will do that. 
You know what you're established in? In the Word. You know how you knew what the Word says? God opened your eyes to see it. You know why God opened your eyes to see it? I don't either. But I know He does. And when He does, the effect of this is that we become stable and sure because we count Him to be faithful to do it. I can't release my faith unless I believe He's faithful. I've got to know in my heart, this is back to knowledge, I've got to know in my heart that God will do what he said. Take the promises, for example. Is it a real deal about the promises? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. He says, hold fast. Hold fast to your confession. Now, the King James Bible says faith is really the word hope there. Elpis. Faith is pistis. That word is E-L-P-I-S, elpis. But it's okay because faith is the very substance of what hope is. Hope is the expectation that you have in your heart because you believe something. If you don't believe something, you don't expect it. But if you believe something, you expect it. And the very substance of what you expect or hope is your faith. So faith comes and then hope comes. And he says, hold fast to your confession of hope. Your expectation. Why? What's the reason we hold fast? What's the reason we won't let go of it? What's the reason we won't change our mind? Because? Because he is faithful. I'm going to get me some Pentecostals and bring them in here so they'll holler back at me. Because he is faithful. Faithful how? Faithful to what? To his promises. If there are 8,000 promises in the Bible, and the Bible says he is faithful that promise, does that mean that he is faithful to every promise? If the conditions are met, you better believe it. That he is faithful to whatever he has promised. If the Lord said it, then he will do it. Because he that made the promises not only is able to perform the promises, but you can trust him that he will because he's faithful to his word. He can't be anything else. God could not be unfaithful to his word because then it just wouldn't be right. But he said he would watch over his word to perform it and that he would keep us. While you're that close to it, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24 first. Faithful is he that called you. What does that mean to you? In verse 24, faithful is he that called you who will also do it. Does your Bible say that? Faithful is he that called you who will also do it. What's he faithful to? Well, he's faithful to what he said he would do. What did he say he would do in verse 23? In verse 23, he said that he would sanctify your whole spirit and soul and body. It would be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will he? You know what that means to me? I'm counting on that. That's assurance, blessed assurance. Not just that Jesus is mine like the song says, but the impact of his word in my heart as the spirit gives me an illumination or an understanding of it has the effect upon me of being able to count on that to happen. A smile on my face, Jesus is coming. And when he comes, I go with him. How can you be sure? Because he said so. Well, I know a lot of people that read that and I haven't seen such excitement in their life. I agree with you. Church is full of people that don't get excited about what the Bible says. Full of people. All over the world. You could read nothing that would excite people. You could read some book by Wadsworth Longfellow or Alfred Lloyd Tennyson, and they would just, oh, that's good. They just respond, but you read the Bible, they don't. There's something wrong. Are you with me? Something is wrong. That the eternal God discloses his word to a few people. He shows it to the ones that he shows it to. And these words are life. 
Now, we don't just read this like so many Christians or church members read it and then say, well, that's good. That's all good. That's, you know, that's fine. God said it. Amen. Amen. But their life is never affected by it. You know why? Because they're really not convinced that though he said it, you can count on him to do it. Because people measure God by people. We determine whether or not God delivers us from trouble or for healing or financial, any kind of problem. We determine about what God can do as we look at each other. Did he do it for you? Did he do it for you? You see anybody done for? You ever see anybody get a tooth fixed? I got healed. You ever see anybody? No, I haven't either. Well, then how do we know he'll do it? He doesn't do it. I haven't seen any evidence of it. You know what you do then? You have a natural mind and you look at things from a natural way. We talked about that not long ago. And your natural mind reasons like that. You say, well, God said he would, but I don't see anybody's ever done it for. So how can I know he'll do it for me? This one's been in church longer than I have. This one here's a preacher. This one over here is a missionary. This one here is a saintly person or soul. I haven't seen any evidence in their life where any of this works. So how can I just say that, well, if God said it, he will do it. I haven't seen him do anything. Or am I close to the truth here tonight? I know you all have never thought like that. I know these thoughts have never come to your mind, but being a preacher, I can get to talk about it, see. All the juice is gone. The river of life becomes like an old mosquito swamp. You know what a mosquito is? A mosquito. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just a stagnant pool. You can stir it up and maybe help it a little bit, but... People are not really convinced that if God said it, you can count on him to do it. Oh, we assume he's able because we read that he has done it, but I'm not sure he'll do it now. I know that he watches over his word, but I'm not sure he'll watch over it for me. So how can I be preserved blameless? Remember verse 23 again? How can I be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord? Listen to this. This is reasoning from this age. I have never seen a blameless person. I haven't seen a soul yet that could not be blamed. How in the world is anybody going to stand faultless before God without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, blameless, when I have never seen it yet in my life? If anybody. And so we rule out by our thinking and that, boy, we can't get away from wrong thinking. But you start thinking like that. You start reasoning like that. And you'll have to hear God say in Isaiah 55, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And consequently, the way you live is not the way I want you to live. Your thinking's wrong, your life is wrong. You think wrong, you'll do wrong. You can't have faith when you're thinking wrong. You can't trust God if you're thinking wrong. When you start judging God by other people, or when you measure what God is able to do by what you see in other people, or you reject, for example, you reject, like a brother said one time, you reject divine healing because you read about these old saints that uh, Spurgeon, Moody, and you take some of these men who impacted not too long ago and a century or two ago, they impacted the whole world with what they said and what they wrote. And they died sick. They didn't get well. Now, surely if God was going to heal somebody, wouldn't he have healed them? Unless you think you can earn your healing. If you have to go through all that to be healed, most of us don't have a chance. So they say, well, you can't be sure that he'll do it for you. Well, he would have done it for them if he's going to do it for anybody. So your faith is not in what God said. Your faith is in faulty reasoning. We're not seeing the things the way God shows it to us. Therefore, the heart is sort of distancing itself from the Lord. Or as Bible calls it, we begin to harden the heart a little bit so that the word of God doesn't just come in. You can't hide a word in your heart if you're not convinced it'll work for you. 
You can put it in your head and think about it, but it'll never become a part of your life until you're convinced that the one who said it will do it for you. And our rotten lives are being changed and hopefully every week and every month we're becoming more the way we're supposed to be, but we're only doing it because God is able to do that and he said he would. And he that started a good work is going to finish it, isn't he? Well, of course it is. If this is true, that God is faithful, that if God said it, he will do it. Let me just deal for a moment here with this question that we all entertain. Then why don't we see it working? Why do we know of so many cases, us, not another generation behind us, but us here? Why do we know of so many cases where people prayed and didn't get it? Somebody died, wasn't supposed to die. We fasted, prayed, laid hands on, anointed a cloth, did all the things that we can think of that God has shown us to do without results. Why do we find so much emptiness in the release of our faith? Isn't he faithful to his word? Or are the liberals right? They say, well, God could, but there's a chance that he won't. And they say, you charismatic whodunits, you all have just stretched God a little too much. You're making him out more than he should. You're saying he'll do all of these things and he'll do that and he'll do that. Why don't you look around? He hadn't done anything like that. Of course, I'd come back and say to them, you mean to tell me that you're telling all these sinners if they don't have to do nothing to be right with the Lord, just raise your hand and go to church and you're all right. Aren't you stretching that a little bit? Aren't you giving a whole lot of room that God doesn't? I'd much rather give you something that you can believe in it, but you have to work at, have to seek first, strive to enter at the gate, labor to enter. I'd rather you have to work at things like that in this life. Then for somebody to tell you, there's nothing to it. You come to church, you join church, especially this one, you join his church. You can sit back and live with somebody if you want to. You can cheat, lie, and steal, and you're going to heaven anyway. And you won't find any chapter in any verse that gives you that liberty. Not a one. But why is it that so many people don't get healed and don't get made right and don't get, well, answers to their prayer? Well, James chapter 4, would you follow me just briefly tonight? I know you came here to listen, so I want you to follow me as we just make a little stab at why, why so many things don't work, why prayers aren't always answered, why so many people come up short. This is just one answer right here. James 4, verse 2, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Now, there's one reason. You're asking amiss. But then he goes on to explain that, that you may consume it on your own lust. Lord God, I ask you in the name of Jesus, we're laying hands on this lottery ticket tonight. In the name of Jesus, we're, Lord, we're going to build you a fine building. And we're going to have some fun. with. Do you think that'll work? So he's describing here, as you read in verse 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. People have a lot of worldly ideas and worldly desires as to why they want God to intervene in their life. They want their child to make the best grades at school and be an honor student so they can get their name in the paper and everybody will know it's your child. That's a lust, a fleshly lust. God sees the heart. And therefore, he says, because there's such a worldly trend and a worldly flavor to your life, and all these things are so self-centered that you're asking for, and look, at you fight not living a holy life, he said in verse 2, you fight, you war, 
He said, you adulterers and adulteresses? You live wrong, you talk wrong, you watch wrong, you think wrong, you do all these things wrong, and yet you ask and you don't get? He said, you're asking for the wrong reasons. God doesn't honor your lust. Listen to this, Psalm 66 and verse 10. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I have iniquity in my heart tonight, if I know about what I've been doing and what I've been saying that I have been wrong, will God hear me? Now, I may pray. You can pray all you want to. You can ask until your asker gets hoarse. But he said, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord won't hear you. God told Isaiah, he said, to the nation, a nation that was God. He said, your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and God that he won't hear. He told him in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, you're at the altar pleading with God and all. He said, look at your life. You're putting away your wives. You're offering trash to God, sick animals for sacrifices. And you're getting no response from God, no grace, no blessing in your life. Well, no wonder. Look at your life. And people don't like to hear that today. They like to think there's something wrong with God or God has changed his mind because we're perfect. And the only reason we're not getting all these things that he promises is because, well, just, just not right. Listen to this in Proverbs 1, verse 25. He said, but you have said it not, which means refuse. You have said it not all my counsel. Verse 29, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 30, they would none of my counsel. They despise my reproof. Would that be a reason God would not hear you when you pray? You don't want to know what he says. You hate what he says. You don't listen to what he says. You refuse what he says or you reject what he says. Listen how he ends that or what he says about that in verse 28. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? Because you turn to God when you have a need, when you got this, ooh, God, do something quick, but your life is not even close to what he wants. You're not living what he said. You're not even seeking him the way he said to seek him. And yet we pray and we earnestly cry out. And I'm talking about nice people in a lot of nice churches and it's never been taught. And they think that, you know, if you pray, God ought to hear you. And if he doesn't hear you, you don't get results. And they change their theology to fit that experience. And they say, well, we ought to pray if it be thy will. That's not what he said either. Other than if you pray according to his will, he hears you. You need to find out his will first. Find out his will. Well, listen to this one. In Proverbs 21 and verse 13, he said, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he shall also cry himself, but he shall not be heard. If you have no interest in the poor, no regard for the poor, you stop your ears at their cry, and I'm, you can't help them all then God said he won't hear you when you cry. That's another reason why things don't work. How about bad behavior? Could bad behavior be a reason that you have no connection with the Lord? Can you find the little book of Micah? Micah and Nahum, the m and boys. Micah chapter 3 and verse 34. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Could God be speaking to us tonight about this verse? Shebbyville? Could he talk to us like that? Is it possible that if we hear, we come and go, we hear the word and we go out, but we're not treating people right or we lie or we cheat or we steal. Or we're not trying to do a good job when we're hired to do a good job or we're loafing and cheating or stealing or lying. We're not treating our family well or treating your parents right or treating your wife or your whatever right. 
when you have a little interest in the spiritual matters in your life and you're not even trying to do right? Oh, you may go to prayer, I mean, you may pray, and you may raise your hands, but what good will it do? Let me tell you something. God puts a premium on your life, how you live, and he wants you to also. Just like he said, you know, bad company will corrupt you. Would that have any effect upon your relationship with God? Bad company, people you align yourself with to kind of be like, they can corrupt, corrupt you. They make you to where God has no connection with you. Did he not say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me? Again, Isaiah 59, didn't he say your sins and your iniquity is separated between you and God and he won't hear? If God counsels us in a message and he gives us information and we disregard it and we go out and live with ill behavior, maybe the wives won't submit to their husbands. Maybe she doesn't care what he thinks. I'm going to do. That could very well fit into all of this. She just doesn't have any regard for his headship and she doesn't really care what he thinks. Well, this is what we're going to do and she's going to buy whether he said no or not. Let me tell you something from the pulpit. Brother Tom said, that's ill behavior because you're violating the word of God that you say you believe. And when you do that, you're telling God, now when I have a need or when one of my children need me to pray for them, don't you listen to me because I don't listen to you. Fair? I'm just telling you that there's a lot of reasons why people's prayers don't get answered. There's a lot of reasons why they never see the faithfulness of God in their lives. They're not living right. Yet you tell a person a sin in your life, oh boy, you're asking for a war. But listen to what Jeremiah said. Let me read for you from Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 14. Listen to this. Therefore, pray not for this people, neither lift up a cry or a prayer for them, for I will not hear them. Can you imagine God telling his people to do this about his people? Let me say that again. God told his people not to pray for certain of his people. He said, don't even pray for these people. I won't listen to you. That's a sentence of death, isn't it? I think the worst thing that could happen to anybody in this room, I can't imagine anything in one human being's life than to be rejected by God. I can't. I just cannot imagine anything as bad as that. In fact, let me read it for you. In Romans chapter 1, what an awful thing to say. Romans chapter 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto a corruptible man. You see statues all the time in churches. And the birds and four-footed beasts, wherefore, notice this, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, second time, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use for that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving, this is the judgment, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. That's pretty clear, folks, about the homosexual lifestyle. You can't make it more clear in the scripture than that. But listen, that's not all. He's talking about the end time, I think. And he said, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they shouldn't do this, but they do it anyway. You see the one without natural affection? That's not about homosexuality. That's about abortions, hating children, astorgos, the word that has to do with your family, your affections and normal family affections. Put an A there, and it's negative that. You're not like that. I hear all these stories. We hear it all the time on the news about what some women do with their children. This is a sick age, more than any other age. There's a darkness coming in, if not already, hovering over the United States. And it's creeping over the whole world. And Christian people are not paying attention and seeing these signs. The very thing I just read here, from verse 29 all the way down to verse 32, we're living in that right now. Haters of God... Did you just hear last week when somebody predicted a rapture was going to take place and the world was going to be done and how people mocked that, had parties about that, scoffers, mockers, ridiculers of God? Have no fear of God. No regard for anything holy. They make jokes all the time. One TV interviewer is so blasphemous, I wouldn't even mention his name. Horribly blasphemous. And everybody laughs when he talks like that because they would like to take religion out of the picture too. I mean, we're getting it out of the courtrooms, we're getting it out of the school, out of graduation services. We'd like to get religion, especially Christianity, out of everything because of guilt. The idea of God brings guilt. You can't escape it. Just like the people who never heard the gospel preach, God said they know. They look at what's out there. They know because God is able to make them know, isn't he? And yet they would not worship him as God. They made him a God. They cut down a good tree, a perfectly good tree, and made some kind of goofy looking something out of it and worshiped it. But people like that because there's no conviction in an idol. There's no conviction that some sphinx or Buddha. You can look at these ignorant things and never be convicted by anything. They can't talk back. They can't remind you of your sinful state or how you're not obeying them because you have this concept about what they are, what they're about, and you go pray to them. People go in churches all the time and bow before a, a, a cross that's got a dead Christ hanging on it. And they look up at him as though he can hear him. He's not even on a cross. It doesn't matter. They think he is. And there's Mary, you know, the Virgin Mary, and they go pray to her. She was co-redeemer with Christ. You know, he did his part and she did hers, but she has an equal amount of glory in it. The truth about that, don't even tell me I don't want to know. You're living in a day in which people are making up their own gods. Idol worship has never gone anywhere. People still worship idols today. They do. They absolutely do. Why do you suppose it is that so many people have given up on the Lord? It's because what they've been hearing their whole life had no meaning in their life. It's what weak people, you're a weak people. Weak people go to church. They need all that stuff. We don't need that. We got the world and its systems. Finally tonight, if you're going to be strong, you're going to have to know that God is willing. We know he's able. You've got to believe he's faithful. But you've got to believe he's willing. Because if you don't believe he's willing, you can't have faith. You can believe in God. Anybody can do that. The devil believes in God. But to have faith in God, you must be convinced in your heart. You've got to be convinced that he is willing to do what he said.
Let me ask you the question tonight. Is God willing to do what he said? Is he? Now, you know that he said it. You want him to be faithful to it, and you want him to be able to do it. If he said it, you want him to be able, but is he willing? If I knew the answer to this question, you might be appalled, or we might be embarrassed. How many people never pray about difficult matters in their life because they're just not convinced that it'll work? How many of you in this room have neglected a really serious attempt at prayer because you're really not fully convinced that he is really willing to do it. You know he said it, but you're not sure he will. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. What did the leper say in Shelbyville talk? Lord, I have a loathsome disease. I'm not even allowed to mingle in society. I'm an outcast. There's an unclean spirit that's in all of this. But no matter what my condition is, no matter how desperate my situation is, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Not every leper said that. Very few did. But this one did. Why did he do it? I don't know. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said to him, well, I certainly could. But I may want you to have this leprosy because through this leprosy, I'm going to show by your willing to cope with this and to have this dreadful, stinking disease in your body. I want you to put a smile on your face. I want you to just do your very, very best and, and show people that in spite of your circumstances, you can cope with this thing and they will praise me for such strength. That's the modern version. You know what Jesus said? And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That's pretty bad. Leprosy. I've seen them. I was in India once. I saw them on the street. And nobody in here wants anything like that. There's a lot of diseases nobody wants, obviously. That just happens to be one that you can see. Bad diseases, sometimes you can't see. You can see what they do. But this disease, you can not only see it, but you can see what it's doing. When your fingers begin to eat away and sores on you and your toes are gone, you can't walk and you have to beg until you die. You don't have any friends. Nobody cares about you. In fact, in the Bible, they couldn't touch you. You had to be isolated into a leper colony, and you didn't touch them. You had no hope. If you will, you can make me whole. Lord, I've got this child that won't behave. I've got this money problem. I've got a marriage. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a. Take whatever you want. Put it in here. If you're willing, Lord... You can fix this. Is there anything he can't fix? And Jesus says, I will. Who in the Bible, who in the New Testament did Jesus turn down? Who did he say no to? He healed thousands, three times in the New Testament, and he healed them Oh, he left nobody unhealed. He healed them all. He didn't say to one of them, well, in your case, it'd be better for me and my kingdom if you weren't healed. He never once said that. Never once did he walk through the streets he walked through and said to anybody, be sick. To the glory of my father, be sick. He never said that. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you going to be sick in heaven? Well, he said, thy will be done down here as it will be done up there. Let's be a good, useful bit of information to get your eyes open to and begin to work at that. By work, I mean understanding it and assimilating that and getting that down to where the light comes on and you see it. Just like Bonnie and I, years ago, we got home from a meeting and she said, we've been robbed. 
We've been sick our whole life, been used to being sick, didn't fight it, didn't come against it, never prayed against it. Everybody we knew, all the people we ever saw my whole life that ever got sick, just did the best that they could. Nobody ever believed that they're going to get better. I never heard anything ever taught me in Sunday school or in church or from any of my saintly, I don't know if I had any, ancestors. All I ever heard was like what's yours, bad theology, where the people that preached got it wrong. They trained me to accept whatever came my way. And they taught us to say, well, God could if he wanted to. You ever heard that? And you should always pray if it be thy will. And if he doesn't want to heal you, then you shouldn't be complaining or crying about it. Take your medicine, try to get unhealed. But if he wants you sick, it's just bad theology. Our mind couldn't see a way out of this life. Like I've said so many, I was sick my whole life. I grew up sick. I grew up in a house filled with two smoking. I mean, it was puffing city. I mean, puffing city. You walk in the house, you smell like smoke. You stunk. Just my whole life. Coughing, lung disease, disorders, pneumonia, running. I mean, just constantly sick. Nobody ever told me I didn't have to be sick. The logic was everybody gets sick. Nobody is always well. It's just the way it is. And the church, what do you need faith for? If God wants to, he will. If he doesn't want to, he isn't. It doesn't matter if you have faith or not. Faith is a non-issue. And the horrible conclusion of that is that faith does not matter. That it really isn't up to me to believe, but let whatever comes along come, and that's the way God wanted it. And if we get tore up in our families full of disease and sickness, then that's just the way God wanted it. I believed like that my whole life until I got my eyes open in one meeting and began to study for myself, can this be true? I've never heard anything like this by anybody that knew anything. I heard somebody that knew something say, I don't have to have that. Now, I got to see that. And lo and behold, there it was. Praise God. Boy, my mind is so full of opposition. My brain is so opposed to what has been dropped in my heart that what's in my heart can't grab a hold of my will because of this opposition. How am I going to get free? Your mind has to be renewed so you can prove what the will of God is. And lo and behold, when you begin that direction, God sends his spirit and this cleansing and this working of the spirit begins to rule out and toss out all that old trash in your life, that junk the devil put there, and a little light begins to shine, and you begin to see some light. You take a hold of this. The devil fights you bad, and you still get... And you just stay with it, and one day you realize you quit stuttering, and you quit being sick all the time, and you went through a whole winter without even a sniffle. How can this be? God. God honors his word. Is he willing? You bet. But for these folks that say, well, God doesn't always want to do those things that we want him to do, but because sometimes he wants us like Fanny Crosby. You know, she was blind from early in her infancy, and she said she praised the Lord that she was blind because it made her this. Well, she'll be disappointed when she gets to heaven. Because she'll be seeing. You say, well, that's not very... I'm just telling you what I want you to hear. God didn't make me to be blind. Or to be ignorant. He took simple minds to make them have profound truths. Let me tell you why faith is so important. Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, be it unto you. Matthew 9, 2. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said... It's always faith. Acts 14, 9, and Paul, perceiving that this man had faith to be healed, said unto that man. Not all men had that, but he did. Mark chapter 10, 52, to this woman that had the issue of blood, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. She touched him. He didn't touch her. She touched him, and she was healed. 
Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Of course, your faith was in him, and that's where the power was. Folks, when you realize if you're paying attention, when you realize that God brought us to him to change us from what we were into what he wants, from weaklings uncertain and unsettled in life to somebody who is confident and secure in what we believe, and that only he can do this, and he does it by the work of his spirit with his word. You realize that God is willing to elevate you in this life to a level that other people can't get to. While you're still ordinary people, God makes a huge difference with you. And therefore, you should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. Because while the world is falling apart, we're not. While there's such fear and dread of what's about to, oh, the world, we don't. You know why? Because we found a solution here. God said, no evil in your home, no evil shall befall you. No plague will come nigh your dwelling. He will give his angels charge concerning you, and they will keep you in all your ways. And people read that and fall apart anyway, but not everybody. Because that is what makes us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Be strong in the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Bless this gathering tonight. May your word find a lodging place in these hearts. We have to believe that you brought us here sovereignly. It was your plan. It's a part of what you're doing with us. You brought us here. I have to believe that what you're saying is what you've given us to hear tonight. And with what you say to us, you will use to make us free, to make us strong, to make us overcomers. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.